Well, I invite you to keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1 this morning. And why don't we pray before we get started. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through the Word, the living Word. Thank you for speaking to us through Him and through your written Word. And I pray, Father, this morning that you would give all of us ears to hear what you want to say to us today through your Word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to believe. And may it be for our good and the building up of this church and for the glory of your great name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we began our time together this morning, we read how God had announced to Mary through the angel Gabriel that she would conceive and give birth to a son, a son whose name would be called Jesus. Can can you imagine how Mary's world would have been rocked? Uh, she, she is young, most likely still in her teen years. She is engaged to be married, but she's not yet married. And now Gabriel tells her that she will be with child, but she's not married. Added to that of her son, Gabriel said this, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary asked, how can this be? And Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I would venture to say that the utter surprise and shock that Mary would have experienced um, is and always will be unparalleled. There has never been and there never will be a more shocking announcement that is made. There, There will never be an announcement that is more out of the ordinary and more unbelievable. Humanly speaking, Gabriel's message to Mary made absolutely no sense. And yet, Mary believed the words spoken to her. The question is, how could Mary comprehend this announcement and respond in right ways? Well, I would say based upon... What we see in this text and what we see elsewhere in Scripture, Mary believed the unbelievable because God's favor and grace was upon her. But but notice, too, the kindness of God to tell Mary that even her relative Elizabeth in her old age, who is way beyond the normal age of childbearing, has also conceived a son. Elizabeth had been barren all of her life, all of her long life, but she is now in her sixth month. And then Gabriel says to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. 
Mary heard that and believed God. But she also got up and traveled to visit Elizabeth. (laughs) And what happened there was added confirmation that nothing is, in fact, impossible with God. We, We don't know how much time elapsed between Gabriel's announcement to Mary and Mary visiting Elizabeth, but I think it all happened really quick. Verse 39 says she went with haste. When Gabriel spoke to Mary, he said Elizabeth was in her sixth month. And then in verse 56, we're told that Mary stayed with Elizabeth three months and then returned home. And it was after Mary left that Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist. So it seems clear that Mary went to see Elizabeth, if not immediately after the announcement, very shortly after the announcement, kind of like the next morning. And so... What she heard from Elizabeth in that visit brought, it, brought added confirmation that God could do what is humanly impossible. We're told that when Mary arrived at the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, she greeted Elizabeth. This was normal. You would expect that. But what happened next, you would not expect. Verse 41 says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb. (laughs) Well, you might say, well, six-month-old babies in the womb do move and kick. But what happens next makes it clear that this was not normal movement. It was the work of the Holy Spirit enabling the baby, baby John, to recognize Mary's conception, and more than that, to recognize Jesus, the Son of God, in Mary's womb. Gabriel had even told Zechariah that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. Verse 41 continues, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This was the work of the Holy Spirit. Mary had gone in haste to visit Elizabeth, and I don't think Elizabeth, I don't think Mary is telling the world at this point or telling anyone that she is pregnant as an unwed mother to be. But Elizabeth knew the question is why or how. Well, the text says she was filled with the Spirit and uttered the words that the Spirit revealed to her, maybe even in that very moment. And even from the womb, John the Baptist got in on the action by pointing people to Jesus, which is what he would do for all of his life. The words that Elizabeth exclaimed were weighty. Blessed are you among women. Mary is blessed by God. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Jesus is blessed by God. And Why do I have the privilege of being visited by the mother of 
my Lord. And then Elizabeth adds words to affirm Mary's faith. And she says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary's world was rocked, but in a good kind of way. God gave news that gave, through Gabriel that was humanly unbelievable, but the Holy Spirit enabled Mary to believe. Mary was a virgin, but it was the Holy Spirit that Mary, that, that Mary miraculously conceived. Elizabeth was not previously told about Mary's baby, but the Holy Spirit enabled her to exclaim a blessing upon Mary and her baby. But notice that Elizabeth revealed too that Mary was the mother of my Lord. The Holy Spirit enabled her to proclaim those words about Jesus. All of this, all of this is what prompted Mary to exclaim her hymn of praise found in verses 46 through 56. And that's really where we want to spend our time this morning. These verses contain what is often referred to as the Magnificat, which comes from a Latin word that means simply magnify, and that's what exactly what Mary does. In verse 46 we read, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So this was Mary's response to all that was revealed to her over the previous couple of days. As she thought about Gabriel's words to her, and as she thought about Elizabeth's words to her, and as she was just beginning to absorb the weightiness of these things, which I believe the Holy Spirit enabled her to do, what, what overflowed from her heart were these words that made much of the Lord. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. In, in response to what she had been told, she put the spotlight on the Lord. I exalt Him. I glorify Him. I praise Him. I speak highly of the Lord. The Greek word for Lord is kyrios, and it speaks of the one who has all authority and power to be master of your life. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Kyrios is the Greek word that's used to translate Yahweh. Mary is declaring, my soul magnifies my God. She goes on in verse 47 saying, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Her, her heart overflows with words that exalt her Lord and her spirit bubbles over with joy because of God, my Savior. Yes, Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew that she needed a Savior. But let me explain that a bit. After Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, and after they became aware of the dev devastating consequences of their sin, God promised that He would send a Deliverer, a Savior. And from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 on, God began to progressively reveal His plan and His work to provide that promised Savior. God 
made a covenant with Abraham to be his God and to make him a great nation and to give him a land and through his offspring bless all the peoples of the earth. Uh, Later, in, in the misery of their slavery in Egypt, God's people cried out for God to save them. And He did just that in a dramatic fashion, bringing them through the Red Sea on dry ground. At Mount Sinai, God gave the law to show His redeemed people how to live in a right relationship with Him. The law revealed their sin and their desperate need for a Savior. God also promised that He would provide a righteous King who would reign on David's throne forever. There is a growing anticipation of God to reveal that promised righteous King, the Messiah. All of this was God's work to fulfill His promise to bring a Savior for His people. And when Gabriel announced to Mary that she would give birth to a son whose name would be Jesus, which we are told in Matthew's account that He was given that name because He would save God's people from their sin. She was also told that this was a fulfillment of God's promise to provide that Savior. Listen again to what Gabriel said to Mary. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and and of his kingdom there will be no end. So the baby... Mary would carry in her womb would be God's promised Messiah. God's promised anointed and righteous King. God's promised Deliverer. And Mary, like all other faithful Jews, were looking forward to God's saving in this way because certainly Mary knew she needed a Savior. And so you can understand why Mary in reflecting on Gabriel's words and Elizabeth's words, exclaim, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, as Mary was just beginning to understand, I say just beginning to understand the significance of this baby in her womb, she knew that it was fitting to magnify the Lord. That was the right response. Um, It's entirely fitting for you and I to gaze upon something like the Teton mountain range or to gaze at the magnitude of the heavens and then sing God's praises. Even more so when Mary began to see that the miraculous birth of Jesus would be a fulfillment of God's promises to send a Savior. She knew it was right and good to magnify the Lord with her whole being. And as God was exalted, Mary also knew and acknowledged her own humble state. That that is, in fact, what happens when we see and comprehend the greatness of God. We are humble. We bow in humility and reverence before God. No one was worthy of giving birth to God's promised Messiah, and yet God looked on Mary with 
favor. Mary magnified the Lord because, as verse 48 says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. In her humility, she recognized that giving birth to the one who would reign on David's throne forever was a privilege and a responsibility of which she was not worthy. Yet, God looked on her with favor. God has given attention to Mary with favor or grace, undeserved favor. God has done great things for Mary, and it's not because she was in a class different than any of us. As we will see at the end of verse 49, Mary declares, holy is his name. But we're told, amazingly, that God was mindful of the humble state of his servant. Uh, Mary goes on when she says in the latter half of verse 48, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. God did great things in and through Mary. The birth of the Holy Son of God through Mary reveals the greatness of God. For generations to come, people would recognize Mary's humble state, and yet God has blessed her with favor and with the distinct privilege to conceive and give birth to the Holy Son of God. Mary acknowledged that God graciously blessed her, and she mentions it in a way that draws attention to the greatness of God and to the fact that God is the Holy One. In her humility, again, Mary puts the spotlight on God, not on herself. Yes, God blessed Mary. God showed favor to Mary, but God also had mercy on Mary. When God gives mercy, He withholds what we really deserve. And all of us, because of sin, deserve God's judgment and wrath. But when we receive mercy from God, God doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, He gives a good gift that we don't deserve. And He gives us favor. He gives us grace. And that's how God treated Mary. But in verses 50-53, through Mary includes in this hymn of praise that God's mercy is for all people who fear Him, not just her. The birth of Jesus reveals God's desire to give mercy to all who fear Him. When, when you fear God, you have a profound reverence and respect for God, which leads you to worship God. You, you make Him central in your affections and devotions. You esteem Him above all others. When you fear God, you give Him the worship that He alone deserves. Fearing God is not merely being afraid as you would of something that's terrible or not good. Instead, when you fear God, you recognize His absolute goodness and holiness and worth and you want to worship Him and love Him and obey Him with joy and delight. A great book that I've enjoyed reading by Jerry Bridges is a book entitled The Joy of Fearing God. We don't always think of those things together, but it's true. 
That when you recognize the supreme worth of God, your heart is really filled with joy before Him. Verse 50 says, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. God's mercy does not diminish for those who fear Him. And then in verses 51 through 53, Mary includes in her hymn of praise some of the ways God reveals His character to demonstrate that He is worthy of our utmost reverence and devotion. Verse, verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. So God's power and might are on display in ways that uh, in ways that He brings deliverance for His people. Th think of Israel rescued from slavery in Egypt. Think of how God provided food and water for the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness. Think of how God defended Israel against much larger nations. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being delivered from the fiery furnace. Think about Daniel being delivered in the lion's den. The lame walk, the blind see, the dead are raised to life. All of these things point to the greater reality, the greatest reality of being rescued from our sin and death through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. God is powerful to save. Verse 51 continues, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God humbles the proud and He exalts the humble. Th think of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Think of Herod whose heart became proud and was struck down by an angel and his body instantly eaten with worms. Think of Peter in the upper room declaring that he would never disown Jesus, even though Jesus had just told him he would. But later in his brokenness and humility, Jesus restored him. And then it was Peter who tells us in 1 Peter 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then in verse 53, Mary proclaims that God has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. God satisfies those who hunger and God sends away empty those who trust and boast in their riches. We can and we should join Mary in singing, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God's mercy is for all who fear Him. But Mary's not done. In verses 54 and 55, Mary helps us to see that God's mercy given through Jesus reveals God's faithfulness. I mentioned it briefly earlier, but Mary is praising God for how the gift of Jesus reveals God's faithfulness to His promise, His covenant with Abraham. Verse 54 says, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. God had made a promise to Abraham 
in Genesis chapter 12. I'll bless you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll give you a land. And through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. God never forgot that promise. When the nation of Israel was bent on going their own way, God remained faithful to His Word. And that required God to be merciful. And He was just that to promote His own greatness and glory. Isaiah 40 teaches us that. The word mercy in the Hebrew means covenantal loyalty. God had demonstrated a covenantal loyalty to Abraham and to his offspring. And then we come to Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And then in Galatians 3.29, we're told this, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So the promise made to Abraham was fulfilled in Christ, and if you live by faith in Christ, if you are in Christ, you too share the blessings of that fulfilled promise. The Spirit helps Mary recognize that the birth of Jesus reveals the faithfulness of God to that promise given to Abraham and to his offspring. And that brought joy to Mary's heart. She is rejoicing in God her Savior because He has shown covenantal loyalty, mercy to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, there is one final thing that I think you see in verse 56, and it's this. I want you to notice God's kindness to Mary. (laughs) After Mary exclaimed her hymn of praise, we are told by Luke in verse 56, and Mary remained with her, Elizabeth. Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. Now, Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary arrived, and Mary stayed about three months. And then in verse 57, after Mary went home, we're told that Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist. So Mary left just before Elizabeth gave birth. Now, we can only speculate, but what do you think these two women talked about over that three-month period of time. (laughs) Ironically, Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, was not part of those conversations, except maybe through a writing tablet, because he was made mute after he didn't believe Gabriel's announcement to him that he and Elizabeth would have a son. But I'm sure Elizabeth and Mary had much to talk about during that three-month period of time. And We don't know all of what they talked about during that period of time, but we do know some of their initial words. And what is recorded in Luke's Gospel are words from both Elizabeth and Mary that were the result of being filled with the Spirit. So I think it's pretty reasonable to say that their conversations over that three-month period of time were edifying 
and God-honoring. I'm sure their time together enriched their lives tremendously. And that's why I suggest it was God's kindness shown to Mary. Mary is still in her teens. She's pregnant. And she's not yet married. But she's told and she believed that her baby was the Holy Son of God. (laughs) She believed that. But neighbors and others in the village would have a hard time believing that when they learn that Mary is pregnant. Mary would undoubtedly begin to face a great deal of ridicule and judgment from others in the community. Again, I'm speculating, but my hunch is that the gray hair of Elizabeth gave her wisdom and help for this young, pregnant teenager. Again, the kindness of God. But after John the Baptist was born, Elizabeth was Elizabeth, who was way past the age of normal childbearing, certainly would have been quite busy and probably, I'm speaking from a grandfather's perspective, exhausted taking care of this little baby. So Mary left for home before John the Baptist was born. Uh, These three months could have very well been very instrumental in helping Mary be prepared for the days and months ahead where she would give birth to the Holy Son of God. Again, I'm speculating, but these three months of time spent with a woman who was filled with the Spirit and recognized that Mary was the mother of her Lord, I'm sure would have been a great help to Mary. So what have we learned today? What have we learned today? Let me just mention three things that I think we can take away from this text in our lives today. Number one is that Mary recognized how her life was blessed by God in the birth of Jesus. And she responded by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There would have been all kinds of other stuff that would go on in Mary's life that would not be easy, would be hard, but the Spirit enabled her to respond to this unbelievable announcement that was made. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Do you recognize how your life is blessed by the birth of Jesus? I I encourage you during this Christmas holiday just to spend time reflecting on how the gift of Jesus has so richly blessed your life. Think about those things. And join Mary in magnifying the Lord. Will your soul magnify the Lord, and will your spirit rejoice in God, your Savior? So that's, that's one thing for us to take away. Number two, Mary revealed that God's mercy is for all who fear God. Do, do you fear God? Do you have a, 
of reverence for God? Do you see in God one who is absolutely good and worthy of worship? And do you delight in being devoted to Him and loving Him and esteeming Him above all else? In light of that, let me ask you, is God, is God against you or for you? Now that might sound a little funny to ask, because we know and we love the doctrine of justification, where we know that if God is for us, who can be against us? But bear with me just a bit in this context. Here's what I mean. We learn in this text, we see in this text, and we've seen in other places, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Certainly, the moment of our conversion is an expression of humility when we cry out for mercy because we know that we are a sinner and we deserve God's judgment. But there's this tendency, even amongst seasoned believers, that as we progress along in life, we, we kind of lose that edge of of humility, and we begin to be filled with pride instead of humility. Is your heart proud or humble? Do you live for God's glory or your own? Are you interested in building your own little kingdom, or are you interested in being a humble servant in God's kingdom? God also comforts and satisfies the one that is broken and hungry. God cares about the one that is broken and hungry. And for the one who trusts in their wealth instead of God, God will bring woe. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That is a reality that has to be in our hearts when we are converted, but that is a reality that needs to grow in the life of a believer. And number three this morning is this. Mary helped us to see that if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again believer this morning, it's because God was faithful to fulfill his promise to Abraham and his offspring. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, you've seen what's highlighted throughout the Old Testament is the failure of Israel and the faithfulness of God. And here in this account, God demonstrates his faithfulness to fulfill his promise to Abraham and to his offspring. So my question for you this morning, are your eyes fixed on the promises of Christ? Praise God, those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. Praise God that he's made a commitment that what he has started in you, he will bring to completion. He'll complete on that day. Praise God that he is the good shepherd that walks with us and leads us and cares for us. Are your eyes fixed on the faithfulness of God to fulfill His promises? Or is your heart easily weakened by what seems to be insurmountable circumstances in life?
Are your eyes fixed on the faithfulness of God to fulfill His promises, or is your heart easily weakened by what seem to be insurmountable circumstances in life? Gabriel made an announcement to Mary that was, humanly speaking, unbelievable. Yet, Gabriel reminded Mary that nothing nothing is impossible with God. And Mary believed God. (laughs) Will you? Will you? Let's pray. Father, it is really a joy to quiet our hearts together this morning at the preaching of your word and to be reminded that you and you alone are faithful. You have made some bold and precious promises that you have given and revealed to your people, that you have reminded to your people. And Father, you have also made it very clear that nothing is impossible with God. Father, help us to be a people who live by faith in your promises because we know that you are faithful. Help us to be a people that reverence you, that fear you above all else. Help us to be a people who look at your greatness and live in humility before you. Help us to be a people who magnify you with our soul and rejoice in our spirits over you, our Savior. Father, thank you for the way that you work. You've been faithful and we know that you will be faithful in the days ahead. And we praise you for that. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.